Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. In Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about Jesus as being wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, almighty God, that he has these characteristics. And he's able to counsel us wonderfully. He's able to bring peace because he's been through the fire, the flood, the storm. He's been through all of the unjust systems in our society when he came and how the world in his day treated him, how the religious sect treated him, how the political sect treated him, how his own family had ostracized him, except his mother, and how the crowds depended on him to help them, but not all of them would come back and say thank you. Not all of them would go bear witness of him. So Jesus, when it says in Zechariah that they will look upon him whom they have pierced, Jesus was pierced on the cross rather than break his legs since he was a Passover lamb, weren't supposed to break bones. Instead of breaking his legs, the centurion, so non-Jewish, who may have not known that law, by the way, pierced his heart. So water and blood came out. He pierced with a spear. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. And it reminds me of the day of Moses when the people had encountered a plague due to another sin that they had done. And that's how the text attributes it. And they, Moses raises up, the, the Lord says to raise up a snake on this pole, and whoever looks upon it, will the plague will be averted. So it is definitely this symbolic imagery, definite engaging of the parasympathetic nervous system to imagine something that's almost too hard to understand and too horrific in a way to give it some sort of placeholder for the mind or the spirit to figure out later. And as it were, it would be many generations later to Jesus that he would fulfill that imagery and be the one upon whom people would gaze who was pierced. Now for what? John 3.16 is a popular verse. It's one of the verses that influenced me as a young child to know Jesus and follow him, be born again as it were. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Even on the cross, Jesus did his ministry to the people who hung beside him, both there, one of them for thievery, the other for being credited to causing an insurrection, because we had to have law and order, right? And, of course, state-funded system of torture was a way to do that, which is a conversation we get into a bit in the books, but we don't belabor that. It's just the injustice. At any point you turn for a human convention, it's always going to fall short. It won't ever be 100%. And that's the main point, that Jesus was 100%. 
He was the Son of God and the Son of Man. He was all-powerful and all-love at the same time. And you can't mix those two together and not get justice out of that. You mix power and love together, the love uses that power for justice in our current condition, in our current world that we are in. So, all the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on the cross is basically what it comes down to. That all the wrath that you hear God talk about, such as in the major prophets, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and in between those lamentations, the, the lament over the people, you have this God who says, these are all the horrible things that are going to happen to you for failing to follow my precepts, which are about mercy. They are about empathy and compassion. Over and over again, he would say, you were supposed to serve the poor. You were supposed to share. You were supposed to alleviate the widows. You were supposed to, and Ezekiel 34 is beautiful about this. Um, you were supposed to raise people up to life. You're supposed to use the law and the privilege, the uh, authority, pardon my disfluencies there, but the authority to raise people up, not bring them down. But you've used that authority I gave you. You've used this special identity as a people of God to hurt others. And that blasphemes my name. It gives me a terrible reputation because you're, you're saying I'm God, you're saying you're of me, and you're out in the world showing the other nations that don't claim that, that you're better than them, which gives you, in your mind, the right to abuse more than they do, which makes no kind of sense. It is a special form of insanity. <laughs> Ezekiel talks about the branch that was lifted up high, the tree in the garden that was proud of its own beauty, and Unfortunately, that is very much a theme, such as even early on with the Tower of Babel in Genesis, when the people would lift something up and become proud at their own accomplishment, proud at their own beauty, proud at what they could discern, forgetting that the gift was from God, the gift not just of their achievement, but of their very lives. So that matters more. So your achievement won't save you in the end. If anything... You might be able, at best, to help some people along the way with that achievement. But at worst, it's just, it's just going to weigh you down and could break you or get you off track or sidetrack you. Practically, it's temporary and a cultural convention, likely. <laughs> so nothing to really write home about or not a hill to die on, as those metaphors go, not worth giving all of your hopes and dreams, all of your energy and people you love to, not worth giving your health to even, because just to comment on not just motherhood, but those of us who are under these pressures right now of pandemia, who are trying to rise up and build community and, and create some new kind of normal and live as healthy or reasonable or sane life as possible, who have these added pressures, people who are in helping professions, healthcare professionals, teaching professionals, public safety professionals, and arguably civic leaders as well. 
And that's a whole other topic, of course. It's one of the longer chapters. It's the last chapter of book two. Book two goes into the different sectors in society and how those were intended by God to be systems of safe love and how they are violated. And in the books, there's an unfortunate practical byproduct of me writing an active tense, which is using the word we. And this is ironic. I'll say why in a minute. But there's follow-up. The, the format that I f- would follow is I, I teach on the scripture of it. I have some transitions in the sections under each chapter under the topic. For example, in book two under, let's just use the political chapter again. I speak about that and I I talk about the different sections of what's gone wrong and then I move on to what's going right or what could be right. And and at the end of each section, there may be commentary on what we as people of God or as we as community leaders or we as a church, we who want to identify as the heritage of God, what we can do to make things better, to live out this gospel, to live it out until kingdom come. And ultimately, the three books together and with book three on the kingdom chapter, which is the direction that we're headed to this vision of kingdom come. And I want to encourage you to perhaps even build out a Bible study of this, which, by the way, please subscribe for updates because I do have a devotional in the works coming out, a devotional workbook for individuals and groups, for community leaders and congregations interested in this topic and learning more of what the gospel says about our heritage in Christ and how the vision of kingdom come can impact how we are living day to day now in our families, in our organizations, in our different sectors in society, how we respond, for instance, politically, how we engage one another, what's our priority in that. Is it to promote a candidate or ideology and then fly in a rage when we find out other people have different opinions than us? Of course they do, right? Everybody's different. Or are we putting at first of that, okay, what's what's most important in this? Is it elevating Jesus as the empathetic forever high priest? <laughs> How can we honor him in this moment in history, in this conversation? And so then the different decisions for that would follow and affect the relationship, affect how you're feeling in your body and in your emotions and in your stress. It would affect the energy, the margins of energy around a person. That duck, she was fluffy. Her kids were more fluffy and cute than she was. She was good. She looked like she was taking care of herself as best she could, and she looked healthy, but... Honestly, that energy she would extend running back and forth. Maybe it was like running laps and exercise. Let's look at it positively. But then you have this the context, which was the stress factor of someone harassing her. So this is a special point for me of interest, having gone through that as a mom, of people believing that they know the number one superior way of motherhood or a family, having this quick judgments and this, what would follow from being offended is a sense of entitlement. And you would say, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the entitlement or the offense? 
it's hard to say, but if you're feeling offended, you can know, you can reflect on what you're feeling entitled to receive. Offense is almost like a warped kind of anger. It's an unrighteous anger, really. Because somehow we're giving that person power over us. And so we do have to dial back. Because on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's a tough one to do. Yet, we're not better than him. If he is the forever high priest, he's above us. If he's the true source of love and wisdom and peace then it follows doing as he did, as he says, will guide us in wisdom and peace as well, will give us those things. And remember, this is a theme I repeat often in my e-courses and in these podcasts, in these episodes. Jesus was welcomed by peace on earth, goodwill toward all people. They were welcoming Jesus with that message, almost like a mantra, what we might call, but a message, a welcome message that he was going to bring those things. He would restore that. Because it isn't enough just to save the individual if you're going to dump them back into the toxic pond in which they were that got them sick in the first place. So, glory to God, he has a plan that by his wrath, as you see in Ezekiel in the, the 30 chapters, <laughs> uh, you see God promise that he is going to, but I will restore all to you better than what was before. I will make you better than you were before. So after he basically lays it on thick and says, because you did all of these horrible, unjust things, you sacrificed your own children to a fake God, to demons, to not me. I did not put it in your mind to do that. I did not think of that even. I didn't even tell you. It's as though, you know, someone said to me sometime that so-and-so said that you said such-and-such, and I and I won't even, the details aren't important. And I said, that's not even, what? What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. I don't think that way. How could I say something like that if I didn't think that way? And that's what gossip does, by the way. It really does take away a person's not just their persona or reputation, but it has nothing to do with them. So God is saying to them, I never put that in your mind. So when you come to me and you're offering sacrifices for these sins and then you're going to just go out and do it again, it's just you're far away from me in your heart. And that's what the Lord is concerned about, and that's what he promised. He would give a new heart and a new spirit. Because it's not enough either, on the flip side, to make a perfect tidy pond and have us be wrecked, swimming around in it, fighting and pecking each other, not enjoying the beautiful world he's made. So they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Is different than the scriptures that would say they have depended on him who pierced them. No longer will you lean on the staff that pierced you. God would say, Look for that when you read through these major prophets. Look through the themes of piercing and look through the themes of gardening. Look for the themes of heritage care for people and bearing witness to God and see what you notice. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time to talk about you, Lord Jesus, as being our 
empathetic high priest forever. Please be that to us. Please intercede for us with God and help us to be more like you are. Please give us counsel on how to be more peaceful, peaceful within ourselves and peaceable with each other. And show us how to have goodwill instead of offense, instead of entitlement. Help us to bring all unrighteous wrath to you and ask you to meet those needs, ask you to protect those things we are trying in our own way to protect. If we are jealous of somebody because they have more kids than we do, or they have more money than we do, or they have more health or family or fill in the blank than we do, more cultural status, more degrees, I don't know. Lord, that's all foolishness because even if they have the power to give us more or less of those things, first, those are all temporary. And another person's welfare and how they're doing is more connected to our welfare and our peace and our neighborliness than it is to achievement. So please help us to reorient ourselves on what matters to you as your family. And I just thank you for your love and for these encouragements that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.